Welcome to the Southbridge Church Podcast, where our mission is leading people to find and follow Jesus. We're thrilled that you are here, and it's our hope that this message will lead you to find and follow Jesus. Take your Bible to book of John chapter number three, John chapter number three, the most famous verse in all of scripture. We're going to be looking at the book of John chapter number three. Welcome once again. So grateful you're here. If I haven't met you yet, I hope to meet you after the service. I'm so glad that you're here. It's always a great day when we can come to church. Amen. And I love it because our church is getting better and better about the habit that 10 o'clock is when church starts. That's not a suggested start time. That's the start time. And so you're getting early. And uh, so thank you for being here right on time. And uh, I know many of you have children. And so you're trying to get the children up and dressed and try to get ready. I had an old pastor and he would tell me this. He would say, a good Sunday starts on Saturday night. A good Sunday starts on Saturday night. That's when you lay out the clothes. That's where you put the pot roast in the old crock pot and you get everything ready. That's old school church. You know, you knew where you had the uh, pot roast waiting. I always forget this. If you're part of the Spanish ministry, I'm going to dismiss you right now to go to our student room. If you'd like to be a part of the Spanish ministry, you are dismissed right now. Thank you for being here. But we're going to be in the book of John chapter number three. And we're going to look at one verse, not the whole chapter. We're going to actually just look at one verse. Anybody want to take a wild guess of which verse we're going to look at? Oh, so I heard it. Somebody said it. You are correct. You are correct. All right. You get free donuts after church and a free cup of coffee. John chapter number three, verse number 16. Can we read it together? It'll be up on the screen. Verse 16. Ready, begin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. That verse is called the gospel in a nutshell. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said it is the greatest verse that has ever been written. It's a powerful verse. It's one that many of you, that may have been the very first verse you ever memorized. And if you've never memorized a portion of scripture, I'm going to encourage you to start with John chapter 3 and verse number 16 as the greatest verse to have in your arsenal of scripture verses that you memorize. But this morning, I need to do a survey. How many of you feel like a gift card is an acceptable gift to give for a special occasion to someone? You're okay with the gift card. You're okay with the gift card. Oh, okay. This, this side is gift card friendly, pro gift card. And this side is a little bit light on the gift card. Okay, now, how many believe that the gift needs to be very personal? It needs to be a personal gift that you think about it. Let's see, is this side got more? This side just doesn't like to give gifts. That's what it is. They don't, they don't like to spend money. All right, this is the cheap side, okay? All right, so don't tell them you got a birthday anniversary. Tell this group, this is the generous people over here. Isn't it amazing? Some of you love gift cards. You love to get it. It's just so easy. You can be anywhere and they sell gift cards nowadays. I'm amazed at where I can find gift cards. I like to get personalized gift, but it just takes a lot of work. Man, to think about something that they would like and they would enjoy. Then you got to go get it. And sometimes it's not on Amazon Prime. And if it's not on Amazon Prime, it's kind of like, I don't know if I love you that much. You know, it's kind of one of those deals. I'm so grateful that God does not give gift cards. Because in this passage of scripture, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave. What, a gift card to uh, Chili's? Applebee's? 
You're like, man, that's just, I can't believe God would do that. That's terrible. You see, God went hunting for the perfect gift for you. And he went looking and he looked at Ross, TJ Maxx. He went to Marshall's and he couldn't find it. And then he started to go a little bit more expensive. He said, oh man, maybe Nordstrom, maybe Macy's. And he still couldn't find the perfect gift for you. So he upped it and he said, I'll go to Neiman Marcus. I'll go to the higher brands, Gucci, Prada, or St. Laurent's. Apparently that's how you pronounce it. Maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. And he couldn't find the perfect gift for you. And then he said, I don't know if they like clothes. Let me try cars. So he looked for the perfect car for you. And he didn't go just American-made. Maybe you like American. He didn't go uh, uh, some, some uh, Asian brand. Instead, he said, no, no, they like European brands. I'm going to get them something rich and expensive. And even that, after looking at a $100,000 car, he said, no, 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 that's, that's not good enough for them. Then he looked at companies that he could give you. Should I give them Nike? Should I give them Apple? Disney? Should I give him a company? And God God kept looking and kept looking and he's up in heaven and he's thinking about what's the perfect gift to show the world how much I love them. And as he's wrestling and searching for the perfect gift, finally the perfect gift is staring him in the face. Literally the perfect gift was staring him in the face because the perfect gift was his son Jesus. And he said, I know. I know how to convey to a world how much I love them. I'll give them the one thing I can't do without. The one thing I can't replace. I'll give them my own son. My only son is what I'm going to give them. You see, this morning, I'm going to struggle through this message because I don't know if many of you believe this morning that God actually loves you. You hear it. You've heard it. And in your head, you know it. But in your heart, you really don't know if he actually, truly could love you. And this morning, I'm going to try to preach this verse the best I know how. But at the end of the day, your heart has to be open to the love of God. And I know for some of us, what has happened in our past is keeping us from experiencing the love of the Father right here and right now. And that past could be years ago, it could be months ago, or it could be minutes ago. And that past could keep you from experiencing God's love. You know what's amazing? There's nothing God hates more than sin. Nothing. You say, well, God hates the devil. No, he doesn't. Show it to me in the Bible. Never said I hate the devil. He hates sin. But what's equally amazing is that, you know, the thing that God loves the most is sinners. God hates sin, but the one thing he loves the most is sinners. And that's you and I. To sin means we've missed the mark. We've fallen short. We don't measure up. It means that we've messed up. It means that there's some parts of our lives that we failed, that we've fallen short, that we didn't make it all the way. You know, when I was trying to date Jane, her parents in their infinite wisdom made a decision that I couldn't talk to her for a year. 
Some of you know this story, and I've shared this story with you. And so we made it nine months. We didn't talk. We didn't call each other. We didn't text each other. We didn't go on any dates. We didn't see each other, sit with each other. And we went to a very small Bible college in Lancaster, California. And it was about 600 students. And you can imagine among 600 students how many times I would bump into them. And I couldn't hang out with her. And so what we would do to kind of work the system is we both had a mutual friend. Her name was Samantha. What Samantha would do is Samantha would call my dorm room. And then she would put the phone in Jane's room on speakerphone. And I would talk to Samantha, who was really just kind of the intermediary, and I was really trying to talk to Jane. So we kind of fudged the rules, but we didn't quite break the rules, but we didn't quite follow the rules, if you know what I'm saying. And this morning, I feel like the middleman. I feel like God wants to convey directly to your heart how much he loves you, and yet I'm this weird Samantha in the middle that's going to kind of mess it up. And so I pray that you would hopefully help me get out of the way so that God can just beam his love right into your heart. Because if there's one thing you and I need to know this morning is that God loves us. Someone's wisely said, if you can accurately describe God's love, then you, my friend, have never really experienced God's love because it's indescribable. The Apostle Paul struggled to describe God's love. He said, it's so high, we can't fathom it. It's so deep, we can't measure it. It's so wide, we can't reach our arms around it. God's love is an everlasting love. It's incredible to even words will fail us to describe God's love. And yet, John the Revelator writes the greatest verse in all the Bible. That God so loved the world. I stop right there as we break it down. First of all, I need you to see that word world. Isn't it amazing that God loves the world? I mean, think for a moment. How many people can you love at one time? I love my wife. I love my children. There's four people. I love my church. There's a lot more people. I love my family. I love my friends. And if I were to put all of that group in together, I could probably honestly, truly tell you that I love about 300 people. That's about how many I, I love. And, and think about how many people you really love. I mean, these are the people, they called you in the middle of the night. You would probably get up. You'd probably help them. You would show up. How many people do you really love? And it's probably a couple hundred. But God steps in and God says, I don't just love a few hundred. I don't just love a few thousand. I don't just love a few million. I don't even just love a few billion. God is saying that he loves the world. You see, God's love includes all. Would you write that down? That God's love includes all. There's nobody that God leaves out. And immediately you and I have a sense of justice and we think, what about the murderers? What about the children that are abused and beaten and murdered? God doesn't love them. And my friend, he does. Oh, what about the, the horrific figures in our history, in world history, that were terrible, wicked, evil people? God loves them as much as he loves you and as much as he loves me. Understand, when John wrote this, he didn't write it in the Garden of Eden before the fall when everything was perfect. 
No, he wrote it in a time when Nero was on the throne ruling and he was burning Christians alive as candles to light his dinner parties in his garden. He was living in a time where his fellow brothers that were disciples were being martyred. Peter was nailed to an upside down cross. Thomas was speared through. Some were sawn in half. This is the day and age that John lives There was still murder, there was still crime, there was still theft, there were still bad politicians, and yet he still said, and he still wrote it, that God loves them. And this morning, you and I need to stop and step back and say, God's love, it includes everyone. It includes you. And some of us, we struggle with this because we think, can God truly love me? I want to tell you this morning, God does not like you. God loves you. Now, the word love, if you're familiar with the different forms of love, there's agape love, there's phileo love, and then there's eros love. Eros love is more of the lust type love. It's more of the romantic type love. Phileo love is that brotherly love. When I tell you at church that I love you, most of the time I'm talking about phileo love, that it's this brotherly, that I care about you. And then here in this passage, it's using the term agape love. And if you want to write that down, write down agape because God agape loves you. What does that mean? First of all, when you understand agape, it's a voluntary response. God is saying, I choose to love you. That's what God's saying. Now, when I first laid eyes on Jane, there's two things I've been so sure of in my life. One was my salvation. And the second one was the woman I was supposed to marry. And it was her. Now, If you would ask her the things that she was sure of, I was definitely not on that list. I was not on the list. Skinny little white kid with acne. She was like, no, definitely not on the list. But yet it wasn't that I chose to love her. Friends, listen to me. It was almost as if it was an involuntary response that I couldn't but love her. I, I, there was frustration times that I couldn't. There were times where I was just like, oh, it'd just be easier if I didn't love her. It would just be so much easier if I didn't love her. I wouldn't have to deal with this like stomach pain of just like, oh, she's so frustrated and I want to like grab her and shake her a little bit, but then I also want to hug her. You know, it's this weird feeling about love. What God is saying, he's saying, I have a voluntary and an involuntary response. God is saying, I choose to love you. And God is also saying, I cannot but love you this morning. God looked over all of creation and he's saying, I know that you made a mess. I know that you're doing things you're not proud of. And I know that you're currently living in that mess. And some of us feel like, well, it's my drug addiction. It's my alcoholism. It's my language. It's my desire for wrong things that's keeping me from God's love. And God says, none of that keeps me from your love because God is saying it's involuntary I just love you and you can run from him you can try to hide from him but God just says I love you and there's nothing you and I can do to stop it because God's love is agape love it's a love that hard to fathom you see many times when we think about God we think that he came to Shame sinners. God's not here to shame you. He's here to save you. That's why he's here. That's why he wrote this verse. It's because God loves you. And if we're ever going to reach our San Jose, our Jerusalem, it's going to be because of love, not because we preach all the judgment in the Bible. 
Not because we looked at them and said, you don't keep the Ten Commandments. It's not because we look at this culture and say, Romans 1, you're in violation of Romans 1. Instead, it's going to be because that we live as Christ lived. And that was a life of love to one another. It's a life of love. Do they deserve it? No. Do your children deserve your love? No. Do you love them anyway? Yes. It's amazing when your child was first born, you never knew you could have such a capacity for love. When my daughter was first born, I just looked at her and I'm like, I would kill for this little girl. Like you get in my way, I will go to prison smiling to protect this little girl. How could something capture my heart? How could something just move me to action? And that pales in comparison to our heavenly father who's looking at, get this, his creation. You love your children and you love your grandchildren. And some of you grandparents are like, I love my grandkids more than I love my kids. I'm glad I kept my kids so I could get to my grandkids. Grandkids are the best thing that ever happened to you. And you're like, man, I love my grandkids. I wrote my kids out of the will and gave it all to my grandkids. And God looks at you and I, and God is saying, you're my offspring. Because we are creating the Imago Dei, Latin, the image of God. We are created after his likeness, after his image. We bear his likeness. And God says, I love you. And God's not asking you to do anything for him. You say, yeah, he wants me to come to church. Where's that in that verse? Could you ever go to church? Could you ever give enough, serve enough, greed enough, do anything enough for God to love you? No, you couldn't. He wrote this before you did any of those things because God wanted you to know he loved you before you were even you, he loved you. And even after you and I fail and we mess up and we will, church, we will, God comes in with his radical love. Radical is this word that has been cheapened by modern culture because you think of, oh, those radical right-wingers, those radical left-wingers. No, no, no. This love is radical because this love loves to love the unlovable. And some of you this morning, it's not that God loves you because you are lovable. God saw that you were unlovable, loved you, and made you lovable. Made you lovable. That's what God's love does. Some of us think right here that God loves us because Jesus died for us. Jesus died for you. And that was not to say that now God loves you because Jesus died. No. Jesus died because he loves you. That's why he died. That's what led him to the cross. You and I were on his mind when he went to that cross. Because God loves you. Notice this. The word continues to go on. We see that the love of God includes all. He said, the world. And then it goes on. It says that whoever believes in him, not only the love of God includes all, but the love of God invites all. He's saying right there that whoever believes in him. This is an open invitation, my friend. If you've never received the love of God, it's an invitation to everyone this morning. It's an invitation to you this morning. He's inviting you into a relationship with him. And it's a relationship based on love. It's a relationship you can't fathom. But this isn't the only place. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, Come unto me, 
all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In Revelation twenty two seventeen, he says, and the spirit and the bride, they say, come and let him that hears say, come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. The water of life is the same water of life that Jesus spoke about in John chapter number four to the woman at the well who he was saying, do you have a cup so I can draw out some water? And she was looking for a cup and he says, I'll give you water that shall flow out of your belly and it shall be a spring flowing forever and ever. You and I are thirsty and we're trying to find things in culture or this world to satisfy the longing of our heart. And God is saying, come to me. I'll satisfy you with my love. Some of us, we've been in a relationship and we're just amazed by it. How wonderful and beautiful a relationship can be and it compels in comparison to how much God loves you and I. You see, my friend, God loves you. But yet, we live in a day and age where we have a group of people that they will teach something called limited atonement. And I'm telling you, it's heresy. There are people that will teach that God only loves a select few, that God only loves whom he chooses. And nowhere in this passage does God ever put a limit on who he loves. He says he loves everyone. And he says, whoever wants to receive salvation may receive salvation. It's an invitation. I don't know about you, but when we were growing up in elementary school, getting invited to a party was a big deal. And you look around your classmates in school, and you could, you could tell the one, one girl, the one boy there, the popular one, and they're throwing a party, and they got all the little envelopes, and they're going to desk after desk, and they're giving your little invite. And man, you're excited. You're so happy to go to the party because you heard there's going to be a, a pinata there. There's going to be a balloon animals, and there's going to be cake and your friends, and it's going to be great on a Saturday afternoon. And you're watching your friends get their invitations, and you're getting excited as you go down the row, and then they come to you, and for some reason, they skip you and go to the next person and your little heart sinks because you didn't get the invitation to the party and you try to play it off that you didn't you don't care and you'll say things like it's okay I I didn't want to go to that dumb old party anyway and I don't really like them anyway and I I don't care and I'm fine and it's going to be boring and you guys I hope you all choke on the cake and I hope pinata lands on your head and and I and I hope horrible things happen at that party because we don't want to be left out and your father in heaven looks down at children who are left out and he says don't worry anyone can come as a matter of fact he tells us to go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in you understand my friend what Jesus is trying to teach he's trying to say that there are people that don't know that they're so loved and they don't know it because their mommies and their daddies never loved them their grandma and their grandpas never loved them they were raped and abused by their aunts and their uncles and so they don't know what love looks like they were led down the wrong path by relatives and they were led down the wrong path by those in authority and so they don't know what love is and here God is telling the church to say I love them and you're my hands and you're my feet and so go into the highways and hedges and tell them how much I love them show them how much I love them and don't stop telling them keep compelling them to come into me because I want them to know that they are loved you see there are no limits on love there's no such thing as a sovereign grace that people are trying to talk about that God just selects a few 
few that are worthy. None of us were worthy. God says it's whosoever will may come. And don't, don't even dare try asking the woman at the well because she wasn't worthy. And she said, I just received him. And then she went back into Samaria and said, come meet a man. Did Jesus stop the revival that was happening in Samaria and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Limited atonement. Only a few of you get to come. He didn't do that. Because it's not limited atonement. Did Jesus stop the maniac at Gadara and said, you have one too many demons for me to save who was running naked through the jungles and through the tombs and he was cutting himself and some of you battle with the same thing. You cut your own arm to feel some pain, to feel something and you pick at the scab and you're abusing your own body just because you feel dead inside and you're looking for something. There's no answers. Don't tell him that there's limited atonement because God saved the maniac of Gadara and that man's life looked over. The townspeople even tried to chain him. Where do you think he got those chains? They said, we don't know how to deal with this problem, so let's just chain him up. Chain him up to where? They chained him up to die. And Jesus with the apostles comes sailing over the Sea of Galilee and he says, I gotta go over there because there's a man who's wild and running through the tombs and we need to save him. My love can reach him. And God's love went to him. There's no limited love. What about the thief on the cross? What about that thief? He told the other thief, we deserve to be here. We've committed atrocities. We deserve to be here, but he did nothing. We deserve to die. And then the thief, all he could say was, remember me in paradise. And then what does Jesus say back? Surely. Surely was a promise. He said, I promise you. That poor thief closed his eyes in agony and he opened them again. And Jesus was right there. Jesus' love reached him. And Jesus' love is reaching to you. And it's reaching to San Jose. And in this season, it's so easy to judge. It's so easy to hate. And we make these little Pseudo doctrines of limited atonement and sovereign grace that God only selects a select few only to appease our own conscience. That then I don't have to love anybody. I don't have to care. But the Apostle Paul goes on to say, I was the chiefest among sinners. But then even he was the one to write that the grace of God has appeared to me, and not to me only, but unto everyone. He preached to the entire world that the love and the grace is available. Do you know you have value, my friend? You have real value. Does anybody have $100? $100, you got $100 on you? Anybody got $100 on you? You got $100? You got $100? You got $100? All right, good. We got a few people. If I were to go over to you and ask to borrow $100, and I take $100, I technically would owe you how much? $100. So if I gave you 10 back, we couldn't say, hey, we're good, even Stephen, could we? 
because $100 is set by the government. I don't get to say the value of $10 is equal to $100. Now, don't get mad at me, but I'm going to say something that's going to rub some of you the wrong way. When somebody murders somebody and they go to jail for 20 years and we let them out, we are saying that somebody's life only costs 20 years. That's what we're saying. We are saying the value of a soul is only worth 10 years. That's the value. And today, we're cheapening human life. We're cheapening it in the womb. The most dangerous place to be is a mother's womb today. Most dangerous place. We're cheapening life. We're saying that children with special needs and autism don't exist, shouldn't exist. They don't have purpose. Yet they were perfectly, beautifully formed in the master's image. And God is saying they have value. So when God gives his greatest possession for you and me, how much value do we now have? If the government will say, no, we're going to let this guy out, even though he murdered somebody, but for good behavior, he was supposed to serve a life sentence. Let's let him out. We are now saying the man he killed, that person's life is only worth a few years. But when Jesus dies for you and I, how much value is on our life? It's infinite. It's incalculable. And God is saying, that's how much I love you. Do you see the value in yourself? So why would you go out and do dope, crack, cocaine? Why would you get together with prostitutes? Why would you give your life to alcohol? Why would you give yourself to a career that doesn't satisfy? Why would you hop from relationship to relationship? Cheapening your value when God tells you that he loves you and he gave Jesus his greatest prized possession and said, this is how much I love you. I have nothing else to give you. And then the great writer, the apostle Paul said this, if God in Romans 8 gave you his son, what else can he give you I've been a bad child at times and I've gotten frustrated with my parents and my parents will look back and they'll say we did the best we could we gave you everything we had what more do you want at that point I realized my own selfishness God is saying what more do you want I gave you Jesus. Is there anything? What else is there? And then on top of giving you Jesus, he says, whatever you ask in my name, I'll give it to you. Because he's a good heavenly father. And he loves you. And his arms are outstretched to you saying, are you ready to receive my love? My friend, you might die unsaved, but you won't die being unloved. You may never have known the right type of love from a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister or a pastor or a church family, but Jesus loves you like no one has ever loved you. And he will do anything for you. And I know this morning you may be sitting here thinking, I've never felt a love like that. And I'm trying to convey and words are going to fall short. There's no way I can adequately convey how much God loves you. Oh, he loves you. In the late 1800s, there was a famous evangelist. His name was Henry Morehouse. 17 years old, he was already an alcoholic in a gang, 
already done with school and already causing trouble in the streets of London. One day he hears that there's something happening in a tent, a big open air tent. And that day they didn't have auditoriums large enough for revivals, but he heard just wailing and noise and he just thought it was a fight. And he ran in there because he wanted to fight some people. He was just a terrible person. And he runs in and he sees people who are crying out to God over their brokenness of sin. And immediately he is struck with the overwhelming guilt of his sin and he receives Christ as Savior. And then he begins to just preach everywhere. And Henry Morehouse had a favorite verse. His life was short. It cut. He died at 43, but the verse that he would preach over and over was John 3, 16. The great evangelist D.L. Moody was on the island that Henry Morehouse was. And Henry Morehouse said, I'd love to preach at your church in Chicago. And D.L. Moody just shrugged it off, didn't know who this young man was and shrugged it off. Well, the man shows up in Chicago, but Moody said, I'm not there. And so the young man went and talked to Moody's deacons. The deacons let him preach. Moody comes back and he says, how did the young man do? He asked his wife, how did the young man do? And she said, oh, what do you mean? He's still preaching. He said, that was a few days ago. He said, yes, but the people love to hear him preach. So they keep coming back. What did he preach on? John three sixteen. And what else did he preach on? No, that's it. Every night he preaches the same message, John three sixteen. He preaches that God loves people. And D.L. Moody said, but I don't believe that. He said, you need to go hear him. Henry Morehouse was preaching in a coal mine city. And there was a notorious man who was abusing his wife and kids. His name was Ike Miller. Ike Miller heard that Henry Morehouse was coming. Henry, Ike Miller said that if that preacher comes to this town, I'm going to pistol whip him right out of town. So the people told Henry Miller that Ike, or Henry Morehouse, that Ike was coming for him. So instead of running, Henry said, I'm going to preach what I always preached. John 3, verse 16. As he began the meeting that night, the door in that little chapel opened up, and there was Ike Miller, mean old coal miner, eyes bloodshot from alcohol, mean, hated everyone, hated himself. And he began to walk down the steps because he was going to be true to his word. He was going to pistol whip Henry Morehouse right out of that little town. So he grabs for his pistol, holds it in his hand. Henry Morehouse opens up to John 3, 16 and begins to preach. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting and before he could finish the verse, old Ike Miller, that mean old man, turned and ran out of that little church. He ran home and he found his wife and he found his kids and he fell to his knees and he said, oh, please forgive me. Oh, please forgive me for all the beatings, for all the screaming, for all the meanness and anger. You see, I never knew what the love of God was like. I thought the world hated me, so I hated the world. People are so angry today. They're so upset. 
because they don't know the love of God, the precious love of God. You see, it's an invitation that includes all. It invites all. But the best part, my friend, is at the very end, it improves all. They'll have everlasting life. God is here to give you a different kind of life, my friend. God is here to improve your life. Do you get it? That's not self-help. That's the Bible right there. He wants to give you not just a life, but an everlasting life. Not some short-term, happy, go lucky for a moment. No, this is everlasting He wants to give you something. So stop trying to earn God's love. Start experiencing God's love. God's love is readily available. My dad had a little church in Fresno. It was just a little country Baptist church. And we would gather and we'd sing out of this hymnal right here. I'd grow up, we'd go to church. We didn't have a screen like this. And the song leader didn't have a band like we have. We had Shelly Applegate on the piano. It's just a small little upright. Sometimes it'd be tuned, sometimes it wouldn't. But Shelly could play beautifully. And her husband would lead the songs. And he would stand up and he would say, take out your hymnal. In the back of every seat was this little all-American church hymnal. And we'd pull it out, and I was just a young kid. I'd roll my eyes because the hymns were boring. Sounded old. I wanted more of the modern stuff, something upbeat. Something like I hear on the radio. Or something I'd hear maybe in my friends' churches. And I'd ask my dad, I'd say, Dad, come on, can we have some more modern music? My dad would teach me. Say, these hymns, they'll teach you all you need to know about God. So Mr. Applegate said, open your hymns. Turn to number 67. So open that old hymn. And the hymn would be at Calvary. And I'd be fine. Verses 1 and 2, you always skip the third verse. We don't got time for that. And you read verse number four. I'd be reading and singing, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not that it was for me he died on Calvary. We get to verse two, by God's word at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled that the law had spurned till my guilty soul employing turned to Calvary. Then verse four. All of a sudden, the love of God would break through to some hard teenager who didn't even want to be at church. But because my dad was the pastor, he'd drag all seven of his kids. I think that's how he wanted to fill up the church. He couldn't reach enough people, so he just had kids. I may try that strategy with Jane. I'd get to verse number four. My lips still quiver. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. 
loves you. Satan's going to tell you he loves you. He'll try to tempt you. But God really loves you. God loves you. And you and I have a decision. It's the greatest gift. And if it's the greatest gift that you could ever receive, then does that mean it's the greatest evil to reject him? If his love is the greatest gift that you could ever receive, does it mean then that the greatest evil is to reject him? I think it could. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, don't leave this place without knowing about his love. You say, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. And I don't need to. You don't know what I've done. And you don't need to. Because at the cross, we're all level. It's all the same. We all need the same Savior. Hebrews 2.3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? John 3, it says, He so loved the world. And then in Hebrews, it says, So great a salvation. The word so is a word we cannot measure. And that's intentional. It's so great. It's immeasurable. Can we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Have you received God as your Savior? Do you know Him? I'm going to invite the worship team to the stage. Maybe this morning you've been running from the love that God wants to freely give you. And you say, today I want to receive Christ as my Savior for the forgiveness of sins. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I want to receive Christ as my Savior. Would you slip up a hand? Can I pray for you? Is anybody like that? I see that hand. Amen. I see that hand. Amen. Anybody else? I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. Amen. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. Counted seven hands. Seven people saying, I want to receive the salvation of God. I want to pray. And as I pray aloud, you can just pray in your heart. Heavenly Father, I just pray for these. I pray this morning as they make that confession that they need you, that they would repent of their sin and they would receive your love. Father, I pray that you would pour into their heart that love that is absent and missing. And I pray that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are their Savior. And Lord, I pray that we'd be a church that helps the city of San Jose to know that they may die and go to hell, but they won't die without being unloved because we will show them the love of Jesus. So help us in Jesus' name.
this time, if you've got a name that you've written down and you say, I want to add that name to the list. There are some pins on either side. The worship team's going to lead us an invitation song. And I'm going to invite you to slip out. And you can grab a pin and put a name up there on the wall. You don't have to follow the shape. You can put it wherever you want. But we'll invite you. These are people we're praying to be saved. And you can write a name down. It's on a perforated card as when you received. And you can just put it on the list. But if you'd like somebody to pray for you, I'm going to invite you to slip out. I'll be down here at the front. But right now, if you'd like to slip out and add a name, you do that as we worship together. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. If this message inspired you and helped you, we would love for you to hit like, subscribe, or share it with someone today. Until next time, have a great day.